Yeah, we get the reveal that Oblivion is dead. And then I ask yeah, myself. You're jumping ahead already now. All right. Well, I don't know because you're tying scenes together and we're doing both diner scenes at once. So you I don't just know. just mashed one scene together because they right. happened within like minutes of each other. Stop. Okay. Go ahead. All I'm right. Good. Stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> Showtime. Welcome to Hey, Did You Ever See That Movie? I'm your host, Dez, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Lynn. Long live the new flash. And joining us again, the podcaster with a degree in terror, Tony. Yeah, how you doing? Today, we will be discussing the 1983 sci-fi movie, Videodrome, written and directed by David Cronenberg, starring James Woods and Debbie Harry. As always, this podcast will contain spoilers, so if you haven't seen it, go watch it, then come back and listen to the podcast. All right, guys, let's um, get into my four-in-one, fun-in-one fake facts. All right. Uh, so, fact number one, the end of Videodrome was created by James Woods. Number two, Videodrome was the inspiration for the story told in Halloween 3, A Season of the Witch. Number three, the majority of the trailer was created with a Commodore 64 computer. Number four, there were actually three different endings for Videodrome. And number five, Danny Cronenberg had to double as James Wood for the scene in which Max Wren puts on the helmet because both were afraid that James Wood might be electrocuted by the prop. Uh, Tony, which one do you think is bullshit? Number two. Okay. And Dylan, which one do you think is bullshit? I agree. Number two. Yeah, I was thinking it was probably a mistake to try and fool Tony with a Halloween fucking <laughs> bullshit. And like, it, yeah, it didn't even hit me until just now. I'm like, what? I'm like, why would I do that? <laughs> so, yeah. But, but with that being said, this movie did remind me of Halloween 3 Season of the Witch in a couple of different spots. Mm -hmm. So just stylistically, some of the music, some of the TV scenes, shots, um, you know, they're going to send out a broadcast. It's going to like melt people's fucking minds. Yeah, you know, a couple little things. It just what made me think of using that is the fake fact. Um, yeah. Uh, and can't believe this but i believe that i missed the budget and uh you did box oh, office. oh so mailing it in i did not make its budget back it was a small budget it was only it was minuscule but didn't make his budget back i know so that and put it in the google machine i want to give the fans what their money's <laughs> worth i want to give the fans their their fucking free admissions worth videodrome budget let's see here it was five point nine five two million, and uh, it only recouped two point one of that five point nine. Oh, <laughs> oh, man, that's Oopsie. brutal. That's Oopsie. too weird. It's just too weird. Oh, boy. it's very weird. Okay, all right, uh, Glenn, will you please give us the? Uh, well, just question. So, Tony, obviously, you've seen this um, before preparing for the podcast. Yes. Okay, and uh, I've seen it, obviously for preparing for the podcast. 
Delane, have you ever seen Video Drone for preparing for the podcast? So this is one of those weird movies. So um, I, uh, Tony and I both used to go to a goth club in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and they would play movies on the video screens, but you couldn't hear them. You could just see them. And I remember this movie coming up at certain times. So I'd seen images, but I didn't really know exactly what was happening. Hmm. And we're talking about Man Ray? Yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, you will recall the time I went there on black only night where you could not enter the club unless you were wearing all black. No colors allowed. That's I showed night. up there in bright orange pants and uh, <laughs> they let me in. They let me in because I was there with my good friend, Peter McNeely, the hurricane, and they wanted him in the club. So they let us come in and we acted oh. full. Yes, yeah. we act. Well, before. honestly, it was black or creative attire, and I think orange pants is pretty creative. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's Halloween pants. You're okay. You got it covered. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, yes, and Peter McNeely was not my good friend, but he was part of my crew at the time. So, all right, let's do this. Uh, Dylan, all right. Give us a synopsis and then just bring us right into this mind fuck. All right. <laughs> all right. Here we go. As president of a trashy TV channel, Max Ren is desperate for new programming to attract viewers. When he happens upon Videodrome, a TV show dedicated to gratuitous torture and punishment, Max sees a potential hit and broadcasts the show on his channel. However, after his girlfriend auditions for the show and never returns, Max investigates the truth behind Videodrome and discovers that the graphic violence may not be as fake as he thought. Okay, so I do want to stop you quickly there because I think... I think the opening thought that I have, at least, is very important for this podcast. So okay. I'm going to give it to you. Okay. So Videodrome, this is a true cult classic in every sense of the word. Um, it's a mix of horror, sci-fi, um, with a frighteningly close take on social media and mainstream news um, that shapes so many people's false realities today. They might as well be hallucinating. Uh, it touches on Manchurian candidates. Uh, this is an important piece of filmmaking that goes a step further than they live, which we um, did a couple of podcasts ago. Um, and that one pales in comparison to this with these undertones and the symbolism and this sub movie that lies beneath the movie that you're presented with on the screen. Um, I've seen this movie 15 times. I've never even seen it once till I watched it to review it for this podcast. Um, I mean that by, I never noticed what was lying under the surface. It's brilliant. Um, yeah. So I'm excited to do this. Um, Tony, do you have anything to add to that? Um, no, though it's funny because obviously, um, they live comes to mind manager and candidate. Those are two easy ones, but the thing that kept going back is every time the, you know, I know I'm jumping ahead with the descriptions, but every time you pull the gun out and, and it's like, you know, do this, do that. All I can think is Operation Mind Crime by Queen's Yeah, sure. It's, it's it follows the like the songs almost to a T. It's frightening. Which I mean, all you need is a nun in there and we're out and we're golden. But yeah, it's this it's the same kind of mind control. It's the it's the fear of of conformity. And I, I, I got a lot of thoughts as far as characterizations go. That's I think that was my biggest eye opening this time around. Is I I remembered the characters being a certain way and this time through I saw them in a different light. So I'm kinda Excited to talk about that part of things. So, yeah, I mean, it, it it reminds you of you know how people that are maybe not completely stable, like Max. You know, we get that in the opening scene where she's telling him what day it is twice with a wink at the camera. How there's people like that in real life that are 
um, pushed to do things that are, you know, crazy by, you know, false news or false narratives or, you know, uh, being, you know, just poked and pronged on their Facebook, uh, you know, newsfeed or just whatever it is that takes people that maybe are very close to the edge anyway and and has them doing things that are just, you know, horrifying. So, yeah, I mean, this was just, I was blown away. Dylan, anything to add to that before we get into it? Um, I got to be honest with you. When I started watching this movie, I was like, oh, boy, it's a bunch of boobs. Like, just, ugh, just I don't want to. Like, I just was like, no. <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. A little decorative um, dildo on the side. you know? Yeah, I was yeah. just like, oh, boy, here we go. I was like, it's just one of those fucking weird movies. And I'm going to, and I literally said to him, I can't believe you guys picked this and I'm going to have to sit through this shit. Like, I literally said that. But it's almost like two different movies. You get to a certain thing where the tone of the movie changes. And, you know, I kind of bring that up as I'm um, doing the scene by scene, but um, I'm, if somebody had said, Hey, check this out. I would have watched what I watched and turned it off and been like, I'm not watching the rest of that. But because I had to sit and watch the whole thing, I got to actually <laughs> see what the movie was actually about. So I'm glad that that made it so that I actually get to see the whole movie. Yeah. I remember this as being uh, a very, um, sexual, um, you know, body torture movie, and it's not that at all. Like, you know, I, I kind of almost categorized this with like eight millimeter before I watched it again for this yeah. podcast, and it's actually not even really very sexual movie. They, they added that. I felt like they added this sex thing as, um, almost like honey to the fly to try and draw people into this to see it. Because I don't know if um, he tried to present this to the public without the sexual angle on it, if people would have actually wanted to go watch a movie about, you know, social media and news and just all of these things. That's what he, I mean, the part, again, I keep jumping ahead, but I always do. It's okay. Is the fact that, you know, the, the, the fine line between sex and violence of what's accepted and what's not. It, it's funny because I, when I when I finished watching the movie, um, I have the Criterion Blu-ray of it. So, of course, I'm watching all the extras to find out again. And there's a great interview with John Carpenter, John Landis, and, and David Cronenberg with Mick Garris from 1983. Wow. And basically saying the fact that you know this was made in Canada, which at, in 1981 wouldn't, would allow everything on the screen, no problem. But when he went to put this in front of the ratings board... In 1982-83, they shut it down. They basically would cut this out, cut that out, cut this out, cut that out. So he basically had he brought it to America to basically be able to not get it cut to shit. Right. Because up in Canada, it's the government. Because this, this is a government-made movie. He used the funds from Canada to make wow. this movie. And so if, you, if he basically went to Canada, they basically, what their process at the time was, we'll, we're going to review your movie. We don't like this. We don't like this. We don't like this. They cut the movie. They take those scenes out. And if you show that movie, you go to jail. If wow. you release the movie, putting the scenes back in, they said, don't, you go to jail. That's crazy. So that, and like Landis and Carpenter were like, fuck that noise. <laughs> so it was just, it was really interesting because they basically said, it's like when Landis brought American Werewolf in London to the ratings board originally, they basically said, this is an X rating. Because in the movie theater, there's a projection of a woman riding a guy in a porno theater. It's not a main focus. It's in the background. But they gave him an X for that. 
But five years before that, he had the same exact scene in Kentucky Fried Movie, and they're like, "Oh yeah, it's it's, it's rated R, no problem." Right. It's the era. It's the era that you div- you put these into. Huh. So sex and violence, what, what violence is no problem. Sex is is the problem. Or in some eras, violence, sex is the problem, and violence isn't the problem. So it's it literally comes down to the morals of the day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's a, it's a brilliant story, and it's brilliantly told, and it's just wow. So. Then the ending, I can't wait to give you guys the ending. So let's do it. Let's get into it. <laughs> okay, let's get into it. All right. Max Wren, played by James Woods, is the president of Civic TV, a sleazy Toronto UHF television station specializing in sensationalistic programming. Displeased with the station's current lineup, which mostly consists of softcore pornography, Max is on a seemingly endless quest for something that isn't so soft and will break through to a new audience. After waking up to his assistant's videotaped greeting, he meets with several men in a hotel room to purchase some Japanese softcore porn, but after viewing it with his board, is left mostly unimpressed. Later, Max goes to Harlan's office, played by Peter Dorfsky, I think is how you pronounce it, uh, who operates Civic TV's pirate satellite dish and intercepts signals for rebroadcast. Harlan shows Max Videodrome a plotless television show apparently being broadcast out of Asia, which depicts the brutal torture and eventual murder of an anonymous victim in a bizarre reddish-orange chamber. Believing this to be the future of television, Snuff TV, Max orders Harlan to begin pirating the show. So, Tony, I mean, Max, Max's life feels kind of grimy and gross right out of the gate to me, um, and there doesn't appear to be very many morals for him to be crossing. Oh, 100%. And... That's what James Woods is the ultimate sleaze. Like he plays sleaze so, between Casino. I mean, just take your pick of his movies. He, he's yeah. amazing at just this like greasy character and just delivers one lines and make you go, oh, dude, you just give me a shower after you. He's after like I so talk ratty. He's like a rat. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, watching him do the deals in the in the hotel, I don't, you know, this this tenement apartment to like go get videotapes. You think it's a drug deal yeah. because it's like this like softcore porn, but it's like it, it's it's a great intro to him. You know, he obviously doesn't know what day it is. He's so lost, you know, and his secretary says, don't you ever deal with someone with a nine to five hours? So it shows right there, that one statement you're dealing with like the dregs, the, the, the late night sleazos, the, the, the awful, the dregs of humanity to get what you need. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny. You said casino. I'm like, he wasn't in casino. And I'm like, Oh my God, he wasn't casino. And it just shows you that James Wood, man, he can disappear into a part. Like, and I mean, that is a compliment where you're like, I just remember the character he played in casino. Like James Wood didn't even come to my mind. And I'm like, Holy fuck, that was fucking James Wood. So good. <laughs> the one, the one that popped up recently as I caught, um, from the middle on, cause I just love everybody in it is, um, Oh, what's the oh shit? What's the Oliver Stone football movie? He plays the team doctor. Oh, yeah. He just keeps shooting people up yeah. and not reporting their injuries. A sleazy right. doctor. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. He's fucking great. Any given um, Sunday. That's what it's called. Yes. So um, I noticed on the wake up call, David Cronenberg made a point to have Max's secretary mention the date twice and then almost give us the uh, viewers a wink of the eye. And it's a very specific look. And immediately, we haven't even met Max yet, but I'm questioning his sanity. I mean, this is a guy that needs his secretary to tell him twice what day it is and the date. He's clearly fucked up. Um, you know, then we see him buying this softcore porn, which I was kind of confused because, you know, you said, you know, he's not buying drugs. At first, I was like, what's he doing, buying drugs? And then 
I find he's going to buy some material for his, you know, his TV station. But it's this weird softcore porn. It's not like it's snuff or anything. And I didn't know why you couldn't just buy buy that, you know, that porn anywhere. It didn't seem like it was dangerous. Um, the dildo. <laughs> Let's talk about the dildo. Um, Tony, this is what I imagine a strange boner looks like. <laughs> It was a little uh, dress on it and everything. It's like, oh, it was, isn't that cute little figurine? Oh, God. Oh, I thought he was going to like <laughs> open it and then there was going to be another little one inside it and then another little one inside it. Another <laughs> Just little the one dolls. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. So the satellite dish. Harlan is working on the scrambler with a screwdriver. And I noticed there's a little red sign that reads danger. Six million volts. Keep out. And it's it's on the thing. And I'm like, okay, 6 million volts. There's no way this thing's got 6 million volts in it. And he's shoving a screwdriver in it. Um, so this, at this moment, I realize immediately before they say one more word, they're doing illegal stuff. And Harlem is doing illegal stuff. He's pirating through this thing. And huh. they've put this sign on so nobody will touch it in case somebody stumbles into the back room and sees this. They don't want anybody dicking around with this thing and figuring out what they're doing. So I thought that was clever. And he puts these little breadcrumbs out and these little fucking signs out all over this movie. If you're looking for it, I never noticed that sign before. It took me way longer to get into this movie. Every time I've seen it to realize they were pirating. And this time I'm like, there it is. It says um, it on the back of the door. He calls yeah, like, but, can you tone it down with the signs? And he points to the pirate. Right. That's, <laughs> that's after we, but that's after we get this first click because i really thought that that sign was so awkward i'm like six million volts I'm like what I'm like what is this the the cern collider like it's, it's like the size of like a mini fridge um so the video drone clip all right this is like it's so simple and it's so effective you've got two guys basically in like you know butcher outfits uh, you know, like something you would slaughter a cow in. or garb. Yeah, yeah. Like something you'd slaughter a cow in one woman, really cool looking wall, two colors, orange, black. It's fucking, it's dynamite. Um, so the, the quick clip of Videodrome was so effective in making me want to know more about Videodrome and it makes Max's instant obsession with the origin of Videodrome very believable and I want to take the journey with him here. Like if I was like flipping through my fire stick and I saw that, I'd be like, whoa, whoa, what the fuck is this? You know what I mean? Like I'd stop, like I'm not into that, but I'd have to be like, what is this? Where is this coming from? Is this real? See, I agree a hundred percent because yeah, I don't know if you guys remember, but and I'm going to probably expose myself too much here. I remember. I know what you're going to say. There Go were, ahead. There were two websites, steakandcheese.com and rotten.com. <laughs> Oh God! And they were the worst possible things you could ever find on the net, and I was like obsessed with going to them because I'm like, how far can I push myself? Ooh. And I saw things that I can't unsee now, and that's oh, the God. excuse. That I, that's the reason I used to my son all the time. I'm like, dude, just don't, because yeah. there's things going to be etched in your head forever. Yeah, and it's just terrible. And the funny thing about you, you basically saying it's like, I want to know more. Where to come from? All this. It's and I wanted to bring this up later, but it, now is the perfect time. Is that? There was a series that came from Jap from Japan that went around in the early nineties. It's called the Guinea Pig series. Have you heard of it? No. It's basically nine DVDs of this extreme horror stuff. But one of them was literally two of them. One was a guy in a samurai mask with a woman tied to a bed injecting her with drugs that make her not feel pain, and then he slowly, piece by piece, dismembered her on the bed. Oh my in god! Full graphic, 
in full graphic, amazing makeup effects. Wow. It, and then there's another one called The Devil's Experiment, where they, it's basically five guys torturing this one woman. Same kind of thing. They put a needle under her eye. They spin her around. They put the headphones on, turn the volume up to like 100. It's insane. Oh, my God. So this, this made the rounds. And apparently, I don't, I don't, I, I'm probably going to get the celebrity wrong. No, it was Charlie Sheen. At first, I thought it was counterreads. Charlie Sheen saw it and then reported it to the FBI because he thought it was real. Mm. That's how like in, insane this was. But it's hard not to think of those things when you watch Videodrome because it's the same exact thing. It's like, here's this extreme thing. Like, do I report it? Do I want it? But at the same time, I got to know more about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, and again, I have no interest. You know me. I don't even really like horror movies. I don't like, you know, violent, human on human violence, any of that stuff. It just makes me uncomfortable. Just something about it. But if I saw this, I think I would have to stop and I would need to know more. Just would. So anyway, great. 1983, great visuals. This movie is so stylistic. Um, I don't want to say Blade Runner because it doesn't look anything like Blade Runner. No. But it's so stylistic in its own way. It's really great. It's really great. So that's what I, I got. I, I disagree with you there. I hate the look of Cronenberg's movies. They look low budget. They look street trash level. Everything it. is not lit well. Everything is like out in the street. You know, it's like early Toronto. Like, all right, we have no budget. Let's go out and just shoot in the back lot. I yeah. really feel that any outside shots, it, it's me. All his movies feel very dated. Yeah. I love the way this movie looked. I love that little fucking mini scene. They used like three times every time they'd zoom in on the street where his uh, public access station was. And it had the one <laughs> weird building in the back with the yeah. fucking satellite thing. And, uh, you know, his apartment looked like, you know, it was out of a Corey Hart video, MTV. I mean, neon, I just yeah. really like on either yeah. side of the door. <laughs> I really, I really liked the way this movie looked. It was, I don't know about any of his other movies, but it had a style. It knew what it wanted to be. It was really good for me. So for a hot second, going. can we discuss um, the Hitler in a tutu picture? That's oh, on the wall. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I actually, what? I actually, that? so that's not until a little later in the movie, but I have that in my notes. I just, Kept seeing it because it kept being behind him, yeah. and I'm like, "What? What is even happening?" <laughs> yeah. It was so it's weird. Everything that could offend you, they tried to put in this movie. That's what, yeah. I, and that's what I liked about it. It's like shock value. Shock value is what gets your people's attention, and that's what he's going for. That's the yeah. whole theme of his channel. And it's like True. when we first got cable. Remember how insane it was? Like, oh my god, we could see boobs. Oh, we could yeah. see all the like Friday the Thirteenth. We could see all this stuff, and it was insane. Now today, the fucking Walking Dead shows dismemberment on like nine o'clock on a Sunday night. It's yeah. Like, yeah. We've come so far because we're so desensitized and everything's been so pushed to us. And true. Anyway, we'll get to that. Sorry. Yeah. I, <laughs> That's was, okay. I, I just closed last week on fast times that I used to take my, uh, grandmother's JC Penny catalog and take it into the bathroom. And that's, that's what we had when we were nine years old, you know, the, the, the lingerie section. I remember. Yes. The lingerie <laughs> section. I think I see a nipple. I think I, I see a nipple. I, I get yeah. Sears catalog, yeah. man. Sure. There was some great stuff in there. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, oh my goodness. So yeah, let's keep rolling. Max meets a radio psychiatrist named Nikki Brand played by Deborah Harry. When he appears on Rena King's TV talk show. Max defends his station's programming choices to Nikki and the other guest, Professor Brian Oblivion, fantastic name, played so by good. Jack Creeley, who is also a pop culture analyst and a philosopher who will only appear on television if his image is broadcast into the studio on a television from a remote location. 
Oblivion hijacks the interview and delivers a speech prophesizing a future in which television supplants real life. Max dates Nikki, not really sure how he landed her, but that's okay, who is sexually aroused when Max shows her an episode of Videodrome and coaxes him into having sex with her while they watch it. It's clear that Nikki finds pleasure and pain as Max pierces her ears with a needle during sex. So Des, up to this point, I wasn't really enjoying the movie and I was rolling my eyes at it and really did not want to finish it. But, uh, you know, it felt like a gratuitous way to get Debbie Harry naked in a movie. But okay, Uh, after this scene, the movie kind of changes into something else. And I'm glad that I pushed through it. Uh, Deborah Harry was beautiful in this movie, I want to say. Just just stunning. And, you know, they did the nude tastefully with her and Mm -hmm. um, James Wood. Uh, she looked beautiful, nude, just one of these women, just so natural, just, oh man, I was, I was smitten by her in this movie. Uh, so the Rena King show, uh, really fun, uh, reminded me of the scene in the golden child. Okay. Where, um, Eddie Murphy is on the, uh, local access show. Very similar. I loved the host. You watch her facial expressions during these interviews. She's got no control of the panel. It's she's offended by everything. It's really great. Um, I love the first shot of Blondie. The first time we see her, we're going to see her on a TV monitor. Okay. They made very, they, they use so many TV monitors in the shooting of this. One of the stylistic choices that I really, really liked. Um, so we see James Wood. James Wood's looking at Blondie. We see Blondie on the TV monitor. Very cool. Then it pans to her in live color in that red dress. I'm blown away. Um, then we meet Professor O'Brien again on a TV monitor. So good. Uh, Professor Oblivion says, soon all of us will have special names. And boy, did Dave Cronenberg get that one right, didn't he? <laughs> TV names names or Facebook names or whatever you want to be now, because you can reinvent your uh, your, um, persona on, you know, social media. And basically he says, you know, people are going to pick names to get people excited, to stir up emotion. And that's exactly what is happening. Um, On Nikki's radio show, we get a little scene here where Nikki is talking to a disturbed woman on her show. And I was getting the talk radio vibe. You know what I mean, Tony? Had oh, that, it's impossible not to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it had that talk radio vibe, which I really liked. Blondie looked like she was ready for an aerobics class, like in a fucking trans oh, yeah. video. It was <laughs> awesome. I was 1982 fashion, baby. Yeah, the headband. Full on. Everything. The, the colors. Top, the top nut ponytail. Yeah. So good. And then we get date night with Videodrome. Um, so when Nikki asks Max to cut her and she shows him that she's recently been cut, this is where I'd be ending this date quickly. I'd be like, okay, we gotta go. We're done. But Max decides to uh, turn Nikki into a pincushion, which was interesting. Um, I didn't feel like Max was pressuring her for sex. I felt like she was pressuring Max for sex. I mean, you know, oh, I want to watch this movie. Oh, it's, you know, it's, it's really hard. Uh, she was porn. in control for sure. I don't oh, think yeah. it was him. Yeah. No, it's oh. really hard porn. She's like, great. The harder, the better. Did anybody die? You know, I mean, she was insane. <laughs> well, this, this um, is the first time like on this rewatch, as I said, the character development, this is the first, I, in my memory, I had him as being this like sleazy, aggressive, always like I'm, I'm going, going, going. 
which he he was, but he was mousy. Yes. Watching that scene, he was shocked that someone else would be more extreme than him. Like, yeah. wait, wait. So, so who did this to you? Who did, who cut your shoulder? You let someone cut you? He was like offended by this. I'm like, I don't remember him being such a puss. It's right. like, and it was just like, as it, the movie went on, I could see the fact that he wasn't this no. yes. this aggressor that I, I remember him being in this movie. Yeah, but he was he was like on the. And like you said, oh, I never go after the dangerous stuff, the scary stuff. You know me. I don't do that. And it's like, yeah. well, that was a perfect example. But the weird thing, and again, it was definitely, you could tell, pre-AIDS, because he pierced her ear and then licked the needle. Right. One of those yeah. things now, it's like, oh, oh, Jesus, that's, that's unhealthy. That's just, not, yeah, not good. Um, yeah. I mean, Tony, you nailed it there. Because as this movie unfolds, we start to realize that uh, Max is not is into what he is producing and putting out for the public. It's more of a job for him. And he wants to shock the public to make money to have a successful TV channel. And there's going to be several little instances where we see that he almost shies away from it when he's actually um, directly involved. And this is the first time we get that. And then at the end of the scene, um, we're on the set of Videodrome with him and, Deborah Harry having sex on the set of Videodrome. And this is where the movie turns sci-fi and the thought of the plot thickens. And I'm just like, I'm all in. I'm loving it. So yeah, really good. So that's what I got. All right. Shall we move on? Sure. Sure. All right. So Max goes once again to Harlan's office where Harlan informs him that the signal delay, which caused it to appear that Videodrome is coming from Asia, was actually a ploy by the broadcaster. In fact, Videodrome is being broadcast out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Max tells Nikki of a discovery, and she announces that she's going on assignment in Pittsburgh suddenly and plans to audition for Videodrome while she's there. I really call bullshit on that, but okay. Uh, Max pleads with her to not do it, and she proves her determination by burning her chest with a cigarette. So this girl is something else. As could be expected, Nikki does not return. Max contacts Masha Borowski, played by Lynn Gorman, a softcore feminist pornographer with longstanding ties to the porn community, and asks, asks her to help him find out what's going on with Videodrome. Through Masha, Max learns that Videodrome is the public face of a political ideology movement with unspecified by a, but apparently violent goals. It's not just a show. She also tells him that Brian Oblivion knows more about Videodrome. So, Tony, our plot thickens here, and uh, Nikki's now off the playing board, or so we think. So, so many thoughts here. I love Masha's character. Me too. From the minute we see her and she's brought in, it's like this old woman producing, you know, taste, tasteless porn. Like, good for her. Like, that's <laughs> you're kind of rooting for her. But then yeah. this is the scene that, you know, she, she, you know, she hits on him and stuff, which is always cute. But it's like, this is the scene we see her get disturbed. And she's such a good actress. You see the fear in her face, even before she even talked about it. Like, yeah. you see her face change. It was beautiful. Um, as far as um, Blondie going to, to Videodrome, and we've all dated that girl. Come on. We've all dated the dangerous girl. We've all dated, like, I should, what the fuck am I doing with her? I, this, is, this is a bad idea, bad idea. But you, you have to see it through. Sure. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, again, it's another example of James Woods going, all right, don't do this. And then these are the scenes that make me that get my fear. I don't know why I have this terrible fear of like the dark net. Like I'm afraid of the dark net. There's too much on there. There's too many things that can happen. It Should scares be. the shit out of me. 
The mm-hmm. fact that literally you could hire someone to kill somebody just by logging onto a site just it, it messes with my head. Prank it's, call, prank call, prank yeah. call. <laughs> so I mean, it's just this is that's where kind of like Videodrome goes for me. It's yeah. there's people paying for this service to to do nefarious things. Okay. And, so I'm glad you said that because um, there are going to be a lot of um, underlying tones of morality in this movie and um, earthly sins and separating the earthly flesh from the spirit. And there's a lot of this in this movie and you're setting it up perfectly. You're seeing it just the way he wanted you to. People that watch this stuff need to be dealt with by in the eyes of, the more brother. <laughs> yes. So, all right. So Nikki tells Max she's auditioning for Videodrome. Um, when Nikki puts the cigarette on her boob, Max looks disturbed at first, right? Um, it confused me a little. Does he like body torture? Does he like rough sex? Doesn't he? I'm not sure. Um, cause he flip flops on it. Does he just love her and he'll do anything she asks, or is he getting off on it? We're still not clear on that. But just before the scene cuts. He looks at his and he looks at the head of his cigarette and then he turns and looks at her breast. Did he burn her again? I wasn't sure, but I, I'm positive David Cronenberg wanted me to ask that question because he literally looks at the end of the cigarette. He looks directly at her breast, gives her this kind of weird look and almost starts to lean in and the scene cuts. And I just was like, where did this sexual encounter go? Did they continue on with this? Did he burn her? And I suspect that he did. Um, so yeah, I, I, went the, I went the other way. I feel, I feel he did. It, it freaked him out too much. Man, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I enjoy, I enjoy that he is putting that on the table for us to discuss. It could have gone either of it way. Is that you're both right? Because right, it's Gordinger's exactly. cat, you know? So. It could have gone either way. It really could have gone either way. And did he like it? Like I said, did he like it? Did he want to? Did he Was he doing it because he desperately wanted to be with her and was knew that, you know, if he wouldn't comply to what she needed sexually, she would find it somewhere else? Well, we're getting it. At that moment, we're, you're right. He presents we don't know. But as we find out later in the movie, she's his hallucination. She's his tempt. She's right. his, his, you know, his muse. Right. Yeah, I mean, frankly, I don't know if anything that you see in this movie after he sees Videodrome for the very first time can be believed. Exactly. Right. Like, um, literally. You just, does he ever even meet Nikki Brand? Is, like, is, like, is she completely a figment of his imagination? Right. Like, well, like I, he did meet her. I believe he met her originally. So the character was put into his mind subconsciously because he did meet her. And then well, she became her, the obsession her, uh, through before, that. He had already seen Videodrome when he met her, so you don't know. Right. Well, you that's why Bianca Oblivion asked how many, how many have you seen it? How long have you been exposed? Yeah. Right. right. Because it takes not just the first time, but a few other times. Right. And then they got you. Right. right. So Marsha tells... Uh, okay, so this, so we're only up to the first meeting with Marsha where Max asks her to look into Videodrome, correct? Uh, I'm kind of pushing both of the meetings together. Okay. The, okay. So, so you can talk about the other one too. In the first one, in the first meeting, she is not familiar with Videodrome really a little right. bit. Um, 
I love that, like you said, what a great character. She's an old woman, but she's an old dog, man. Like she says to Max, you're too old for me. And then she looks up at the waiter and it's just like, I'm going to fucking, I'm going to fucking dress you down after lunch. Like you're mine. And I believe it. I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. She's got a little tread left on the tire. I might get a strange boner for Marsha. You know, why not? Why not? I'd, I'd bang Marsha. Sure. Um, uh, yeah. And then, and then, you know, in the second meeting, she's saying, you know, leave it alone. It's dangerous. And then she says the words we've all been waiting for. It's real. And oh, what a powerful line, right? It was so good. She's like, it's real. Um, yeah. Marsha is so good. And then, you know, she tells him that Professor Oblivion is behind Videodrome. And, you know, I'm, I'm all in now. I fucking love it. So, yeah, that's where we're at. So take us to the uh, meeting with Professor Oblivion. Okay, so Max tracks down Oblivion's office to the cathode ray mission, which I thought this was a really cool scene, this whole thing. So good. Uh, it's, it's a mission where homeless individuals are provided food, shelter, and clothing, and encouraged to engage in marathon sessions of television viewing. Max discovers that the mission is run by Oblivion's daughter, Bianca, played by Sonia Smiths, with the goal of helping to bring about her father's vision of a world in which television replaces every aspect of everyday life. Wow. That's here a lot. Are. Yeah, yeah, here we I are. Mean, pretty much. We're there. Uh, later, Max receives a videotape in which Oblivion informs him that the Videodrome is a sociopolitical back- ba- battleground oof, in which a war is being fought for the control of the minds of the people of North America. In the video, Oblivion is strapped into his chair and then garroted by a hooded figure. The hood comes off to reveal Nikki. Her lips fill up the screen of a TV set where she says, come to me. The TV is moving as if it's breathing. Max leans in close. The distended screen envelops his face before Max wakes in a panic the next morning. So, Des, the special effects aren't amazing, but it's getting oh, yes, the job done. No, they are amazing. <laughs> you think they're amazing? You're, yeah, you're, you're mistaken. This is 1983, okay. and, I, and I am all <laughs> over this shit, man. I feel like I took a hit of acid before I watched this movie. It was fucking great. Um, so the meeting uh, with Oblivion. So, first of all, Oblivion's office is great. This is the stylistic uh, look of the movie I was talking about. I love it. This fucking office is incredible. Uh, his doctor, uh, I'm sorry, his daughter offers a video message from her father. The first time I watched this and I had to put myself back as if I had never seen it before. I said to myself, I wonder if the professor is already dead and these are archive tapes. So I was, that's what I thought. I knew from past views that he was dead and these were archive tapes, but I think I definitely was wondering that the first time I saw it. I can't remember back if I did or I didn't, but this time I was like, wow, that was really cool. Um, Tony, do you think you would have picked that up the first time? It felt like it because okay. one of the things I noticed in the, again, I can't remember if I go back the first time or not, but I, it's one of those things like I know to look for now. Yeah. That when he's on the talk show, there's no back and forth. It's just, he, he has his talk. And when she's like, my father chooses to, to converse in monologues instead of dialogues. Right. And that's where we are now. Twitter. Yeah. It's you, oh, yeah. this is my voice. These are my posts. This is what there's no conversation. It's me saying what I want. Oh yeah. It's like the, the forethought in this movie and to where what we've become now is is disturbing how accurate it it really has become. It's crazy. And you know, and I love the the so the hallucinations. I mean 
this is like, you know, people are sold these, these ideas now on social media, especially weak-minded people that will just like, they're junking on Fox or they're junking on CNN or they're junking on their newsfeed or they're junking on Twitter and they're getting all the information and they're getting all their facts and all their news and all their opinions through this. And some people can just are getting so angry over the information dumps they're getting that it literally will make them like almost hallucinate. Like I want to go out and fucking kill this certain kind of person because I've been told that they're so evil that I'm righteous for killing them and taking them out. This is the hallucination now in today's uh, society that's being created through what he is saying, television. So beyond, yeah, I mean, Bianca pretty much is, is not baiting him, but she's, she's fishing. Right. See, oh, how yeah. much do you know? How much have you exposed yourself? What do you, she keeps like, well, video drum is this, video drum is that. And not really giving him a lot until the end of their meeting, really. Yeah. 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 I mean, technically she doesn't give him much. She, he gets more from the videotape, but she is the one that sends the videotape. So he kind of leaves, not empty handed completely, but a little bit. And yeah. um, that's so he, actually this is a scene I wanted to bring up. So the secretary comes with the videotape and he mm. hallucinates that he hits her. Right. And like, yeah. he's like, oh, I hit you. And she's like, you didn't hit me. And I'm yeah. like, wow. OK, like, like um, he where gave her, he, what's what's real in his life and what's not? What have we seen? How do you know? Real? Right. Yeah. How do you know? While he's hitting her. You'll notice that her face is flashing back and forth between her face and Nikki's face. Nikki's. Yes. Yeah. So very interesting. Um, so he gets the gun. He's afraid and clueless of the gun at first. So he doesn't even want to <laughs> handle it. Right. He's like touching it. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, he's hitting the secretary. He's seen her. Then the VHS tape starts breathing. This is oh, so good. And yeah, that the was organ, cool. this organ music kicks in. And I love the way this movie sounds too. It's perfect. Um, Oblivion tells Max he's been infected by Videodrome. Nikki appears as the new leader of Videodrome. And we get more breathing appliances. Rick Baker is fucking killing it here. I love it. And I saw... So many things in this scene that I would see later on in A Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, mm -hmm. in a lot of different movies, like uh, Poltergeist, uh, just a lot of things. This movie influenced a lot of other movies, and I thought that these practical effects were way ahead of their time. I just did. I thought they looked great. Oh, All of it. Yeah. I mean, even when he opens his stomach up, it looked good. It was scary. It was gross. It didn't look the, super fake. The weird mangina thing, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he puts the gun in there, and then he loses it, and he's like looking around frantically for the gun. That's easily one of the best scenes of the movie. Like that's yeah. just, it's like what the fuck? <laughs> now what yeah. do you do? You got a gun in you, you know? Like yeah, or do you? Exactly. Or, he, or do you? Exactly. Um, yeah, we get the reveal that Oblivion is dead. Um, and then I asked yeah, myself. You're jumping ahead already now. All right. Well, I don't know because you're tying scenes together and we're doing both diner scenes at once. So you I don't just know. just mashed one scene together because they right. happened within like minutes of each other. Stop. Okay. Go ahead. All I'm right. Dead. Stop fighting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
All right. Max returns to the mission where Bianca tells Max that the hallucinations are side effects from having viewed Videodrome, which is in fact the carrier of a malicious broadcast signal that causes viewers to develop a malignant brain tumor. Brian Oblivion helped to create it as part of his vision for the future, but when he found out that it was to be used for malicious purposes, he attempted to stop his partners. In turn, they used his own invention to kill him. He's already dead. In the year before his death, Oblivion recorded tens of thousands of videos, which now form the basis of his television appearances. Bianca sends Max away with an armful of videotapes to watch. As he watches one tape, holding a pistol, sitting on his couch shirtless while wearing gun holsters, as one does, his stomach opens up. For some reason, Max sticks his gun in the opening and the incision steals the weapon from him and closes back up. On the tape, Oblivion says, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? Which I thought was pretty good. So cool. Max is contacted by Videodrome's producer, the Spectacular Optical Corporation, an eyeglasses company that acts as a front for a NATO weapons manufacturer. They have a car outside waiting for him. He meets the head of Spectacular Optical, Barry Convex, played by Leslie Carlson, who convinces him to put on a helmet, allowing Spectacular to record his hallucinations. He explains that the tumors are directed at low lives to make a better society. He wants to know why Max is able to operate normally when the rest of the test subjects can't return to normalcy. He leaves the room explaining that the dark stuff disturbs him. So, Tony, uh, you just met this guy. He is the one putting out the signal that put a tumor in your head and is giving you hallucinations. You going to trust him to put this big old contraption on your head? Hell no. He's got a name <laughs> named after a lens of a lens company that's a front for yeah. bad things. It's like there's too much too much symbolism here. It's like, so come sleazy. On. <laughs> uh, what's, what's great about this is fucking... James Woods wouldn't put it on his head in real life. This was the yeah. prop that they were afraid was going to electrocute him. It does look uh, pretty, pretty It, it so does look a the, little sketchy. Yeah. 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 From China. So we <laughs> get the reveal that Oblivion is dead. And I asked myself immediately, why isn't Harlan hallucinating? So immediately now I'm starting to put little pieces together. It's starting to feel like, you know, they're setting up James Woods. Harlan's part of it. I, I forgot to actually touch on it. I fucking love Harlan's character. Love it. He's so charismatic and he's so funny and he's so, he's such a, he's your pirate friend. He's totally. the one he's that the gives fifth you, Ghostbuster. He totally, he's just, <laughs> he's the one that gives you the burned DVDs of things the movies aren't out yet. He's that friend, you know? Yeah. And yeah. it's like, he's, and yeah, you're right. This is where you start to go, motherfucker. He's like totally screwing him over. And yeah. it's like, Again, so well written and again, acted by everybody in this movie. There's yes. really not one terrible performance in this movie. No. No. Definitely that's not. Yeah. And and it doesn't look this movie doesn't look as B as I thought it did. I thought this movie was legit all the way through. It's a sleazy MTV video from nineteen eighty three. I fucking love it. <laughs> well that's um, why you like it. Yeah. Uh, and this is where we get the swastiker, um, the ballet oh. Hitler with the swastiker. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just crazy. Um, we get the great effect of the gun going in the gut. Uh, Max goes to Videodrome. So in the limo, we get this sinister message explaining Videodrome. And it's frighteningly similar to today's media and mainstream news that create false reality for so many people again. It's like, I'm just watching this and I'm going, fuck, did this guy get this right? You know, much <laughs> like in They Live. <laughs> and by like, the way, <laughs> it's a great segue. <laughs> God. Yeah, make a fucking channel that shows fucking shit that's totally fucking immoral. And if people watch it, then they get a brain tumor and die. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. 
Uh, so much like in They Live, we're getting special glasses here, right? Uh, Barry wants to record one of Max's hallucinations with the prototype helmet made in China. Um, that is David Cronenberg in the helmet. I thought that was pretty cool. I couldn't see it. Um, this is so Matrix, isn't it? Um, I can see so many different movies were influenced in this. And it's so cool. He puts the helmet on. At first, you see the pixelated reality that he's looking at through the helmet. And then suddenly, he's in the construct, just like in the Matrix. And I was like, oh, man, come on. You know the Wachowski brothers saw this movie and used that because it is balls on. I mean, I don't know the technology. I, I didn't research it, but it's like, dude, my, I wear my Oculus for like an hour a day. Yeah, me it's too. Like, I, I do enough. virtual reality. It's like, and it's like, that's <laughs> what this was. This was, 19, did we have virtual reality in 1981? Was it even a thought of? No. So no. that's what I'm saying. It's literally that. And I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, you know? I, 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 oh man, the VR porn is the technology is there. The tech, Tony, are you, are you partaking the no. VR porn? What do you no, mean? I'm no, I'm working out just supernatural and beat saber. I'm not, dude, have you, that. have you looked into the VR porn? It's free. No, because Why? my kid uses the helmet. That's oh, the last thing I need. <laughs> man, I'm telling you, I, I was, I was looking at some VR porn with my door lock not two hours ago. It was um, amazing. Obviously, my child also uses the helmet. <laughs> yeah. So, you know how when they put your hand... All right, we're not going to get into it. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Let's keep going. God if you have an Oculus, it. look into the porn. It's great. Oh, God. Grow up. Okay. All right. Max hallucinates himself in Videodrome with Nikki. As he whips an organic TV set, Nikki's image transforms into Masha. Max wakes up in his own bed with Masha dead at his side. Max calls Harlan to come over with his camera, but when he arrives, he sees nothing in the bed to photograph. Max says they must watch last night's Videodrome broadcast because he was in it. At the lab, Harlan reveals that there never was a broadcast, only pre-recorded tapes, which he never watched. Just then, Convex enters. He says that they chose Channel 83, Civic TV, for the first transmission of the Videodrome signal because of its sleazy content and audience. Why would anybody watch a show like Videodrome, he asks. Under Convex's influence, he produces a pulsing VHS tape, and Max's stomach slit opens to receive the program. <laughs> Convex orders Ren to kill your partners and give me channel 83. Max pulls his gun back out from the slit, and the gun screws itself to his hand and up his arm, which was really a cool effect, if you ask me. Yeah. Um, Great. Yeah. Max goes back to the Civic TV station and shoots both Moses and Raphael in the Channel 83 boardroom. His next program is to kill Bianca Oblivion. He breaks into the mission, but hesitates when Bianca plays him Nikki's death scene on Videodrome. She was killed on the show, along with all the other people, by Spectacular Optical. A flesh gun emerges from the TV set and shoots him. A violent deprogramming. Bianca inserts her own tape into Max's stomach. With that, she reprograms him to go after the ones responsible for creating Videodrome. She tells him... The video word made flesh. Death to Videodrome. Long live the new flesh. So, Dez, there's a lot to unpack here. Not what we actually see, but the, the euphemisms that are happening here. Yeah, so um, Max finds Marsha dead in this bed. Um, Harlan can't see anything in Max's bed. I have to wonder if Max is a schizophrenic. And I ask this because the opening scene, again, he's unstable before he's ever watched Videodrome. 
ever. Mm -hmm. Like we're getting like who needs their secretary to make videotapes for the morning? Take I mean, what is this? Fifty first dates with Drew Barrymore? I mean, he's fucking obviously <laughs> mentally broken. So I have to wonder if Max is having a schizophrenic episode and how much of what I am seeing is this schizophrenic episode or is it Videodrome? I don't know, but I love this. I, I'm starting to wonder if Videodrome doesn't exist at all. This is a schizophrenic fantasy that this sick guy has created. Um, we find out why Harlan isn't hallucinating. He's a plant and never watched the show. Um, we find out Videodrome was created to thin the herd out of perverse, violent people. And I've already made it clear. I think we need something like that. And, uh, and Videodrome is not the villain here. It's not the protagonist. Or the antagonist, sorry. <laughs> Videodrome is the good guy. Videodrome is the good guy. Sorry. Sure, sure. Sorry. Okay, okay. You fucking perverse person oh, yeah okay. i'm sure okay, okay. i'm not the one wearing the porn helmet <laughs> there's your soundbite listen it's <laughs> it's uh i'm watching very i'm watching man on woman very safe gentle caring and really with the uh with the with the vr porn there is no man i'm the man right <laughs> you that's and what you man. think and the man <laughs> Okay, uh, Max goes on a pill uh, killing spree. Uh, we find out Oblivion's daughter has been uh, programmed by Videodrome to be an assassin. Pretty cool. Um, so he's an assassin now. He's a, a Manchurian candidate. He's been brainwashed. He's going on the killing spree. Um, when Max gets shot in this scene, we get the symbolism that Max has become what he sees on TV. And again, a message about people being driven to do crazy things by influence from news and social media. Uh, it's heavy-handed and it's really good. Um, have we gone back to the uh, spectacular optical yet? Uh, we have not. Okay. Yet gone so back. That's, what I got. that's our next scene. All right. Hey, good stuff. Loving all of it. All right, so back at Spectacular Optical, Max is looking for convex. He finds the turncoat Harlan instead, who congratulates him on a job well done and offers up the next videotape mission. However, when he inserts the tape, his hand won't come out. When he finally does get it back, his hand is gone, and it's replaced with a, an explosive. He blows up, and Max calmly steps through the hole left in the wall to go look for convex. At the Spectacular Optical Trade Show at the Toronto Convention Center, Convex is introducing the new spring collection. Max approaches the stage and shoots Convex with his gun hand, who falls dead and his entire body erupts into gory and sickening tumors as people scream and panic and run. Max waves his handgun to the assembly, yelling, Death to Videodrome, long live the new flesh. Afterwards, Max takes refuge on a derelict boat in an abandoned harbor. The space is mostly empty, but a television materializes and Nikki appears on the screen. She tells him that he's weak in Videodrome, but that in order to completely defeat it, he has to leave the old flesh. The television then shows an image of Ren shooting himself in the head with his gun hand, which causes a TV set to explode, splattering the deck of the ship with bloody human intestines and multicolored goo. Imitating what he's just seen on TV, Max says his final words, long live the new flesh, and then he pulls the trigger. Dun, right. dun, dun. Uh, so 
the the point of Videodrome too, it's not they're not being like preachy, like you can't watch porn, you can't masturbate, you can't have sex with multiple people. What they're saying is you shouldn't be turned on by people murdering a helpless woman. That's sick behavior. People like that shouldn't be in society. If this is stuff that turns you on, you're fucked. You're broken. You're a fucking mental case. If you want to watch people be fucking, if you want to watch a real snuff and watch a man murder an innocent, helpless woman, you're fucked. And we we can do without you. That's all I'm saying. And that's what Videodrome is saying. And that's why I'm saying Videodrome is not the bad guy here. Okay. So at this point, Max takes control of the dream, right? So he takes control of the hallucination now. He's yeah yang all the characters in this dream, and he's now calling the shots. So I made an observation. After he blows the hole in the wall and goes through the hole into the street, you see a woman with her child. She sees mm-hmm. this happen, and she grabs the kid, and she goes, oh, come, come, come. Okay, so now two things are happening here. Either the entire thing is a fantasy in his head, all of it. These are dream characters in his fantasy, the woman, the child, none of them exist. Or we're seeing parts of reality and also parts of his fantasy. But how did the wall explode? So clearly, none of this is happening. None of it is happening. That wall never exploded. I mean, am I right? That's where I was going to ask. It's like, if he's schizophrenic, how did how did Harlan explode? How did the wall get there? How did he get in the alley? Yeah, you know, well, th- those are those are quote real things. But schizophrenic it, people see uh, see hallucinations. They see things that aren't there. See, but again, I would blame that on Videodrome because the only thing Cronenberg had to do is in the first scene when he's making his coffee and dipping his pizza in it, is show him go to the medicine cabinet and take a pill. That would have introduced that he possibly has mental issues. We didn't see anything of that, so we're just going to go that he's a weak-minded person, not so much that he has a condition. What's weird is there is always a jar of pills visible when you're in Max's apartment. The same jar of pills. Every scene. I, I did notice it. I'll give you credit on that. That is true. That's really subtle and a really good observation. Yeah. So I, I noticed picked it, up on that. Yeah, I noticed it. And it was like purposely put in shot. Like it was moving around the apartment. So, like he wanted you to see that bottle of pills. All um, right. Granted, actually really it, interesting. Yeah, I mean, it looked like a bottle of vitamins. I don't know, but you know, it's it's there for you to debate if you'd like to. Um, at the banquet, did you notice Barry is pushing the all-seeing eye of the Illuminati? Very cool, man. It's there. If you want to see it, it's there. The triangle, the eye, it's all yep. there. Um, and then the final act. Uh, are we there? Can we talk about it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, I finished. Keep going. So Max killing himself in Videodrome. This, for me, this was symbolism for Max shedding his earthly sins, shedding his body, leaving the story behind. Anything that he had done here on Earth, he was going to be forgiven for. and. Uh, he just basically says, without saying it, I'm shedding my human body, I'm shedding my earthly sins, and I'm moving on with my spirit to whatever's next, and I'm, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not sure the word I'm trying to find, uh, embolished, embodied. Like, like, he's ascending. He's, 
he's washed free of all of his sins and he's now his, abolished. He's abolished. abolished. Oh, yes. Okay. And now his consciousness is going to be released back into the universe. And, you know, the last half an hour of this movie felt like a little bit of a slog because this is where Cronenberg started weaving the, the understory for anybody who was paying attention and wanted to find it. And this is where I was most intrigued and engaged with this movie because I really was looking for it. <clears throat> I wanted to see it. I wanted I wanted it. So I loved it, man. I thought it was fucking great. Um, what'd you think? And Tony, wouldn't you agree that this feels like a much more important, much more serious uh, piece of film and art when you compare it with They Live? Like, They Live felt kind of silly and cheap compared to this. You got Roddy Piper. It's going to be more, way more campy. I mean, right. the, cast, the casting alone. I mean, if you go back to They Live, the guy who walks them around the the spaceship, the the, the drunk guy is like, ah, you know, I I'm a rich guy too. It's like, yeah, it's total camp. This is this is the high art expectation. You know, Cronenberg. Cronenberg's right. never made schlock. He right. might not have the budget to make what he wants to make, but he never gets cheap actors. He never gets. Yeah, he might get cheap sets, but he never they they fit within the movie. I don't like his aesthetic personally myself, but they do the job for what he's going for. The man is the man's writing and the man's theories and his his um his ideas are fucking genius. Yes. I mean, he's the one who created body horror. He's he's the when you say body horror, you think Cronenberg. Yeah. And the crazy thing is son is falling in his footsteps. His son's three movies are fucking genius. Oh seen really? What, oh my what god, are they? it's beautiful. Which what movies are his? His uh, Possessor. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Infi- Infinity Pool just came out. Oh, yeah. Totally amazing. Is that the one with Alexander Skarsgård? And Mia Goth, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Infinity I haven't watched Pool. it yet, but. And I can't remember the first ones. I can't remember the name. I, I hate that I can't remember it. But it's about a company that's, that works with movie stars who have terminal illness or just viruses. And you could buy the same virus from your, you'll have the same herpes. They're like Taylor Swift has. You'll, you can oh, spend thousands of dollars to have a designer, a designer illness. That's so you can crazy. be closer to your star. That's so I mean, the theories are so like out there, but they're so good. Yeah. What's Infinity Pool about quickly? Oh, Jesus. Um, it's, it's a couple that goes on vacation, meets two people. They bring them completely out of their comfort zone. And they find out that there's a technology out there that lets them We'll just say get away with murder. Oh, cool, cool. I'll I'll look for it. It's I'm it's <laughs> that's not there's there's layer on layer on layer on layer layer of that movie. So cool. yeah, cool. All right, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I just couldn't have been any more impressed with uh with the storytelling and the uh and the plot and yeah and the, how deep his script went. The thing that I I never picked up, I never understood why he shot the guy and he suddenly started exploding. Until I went back like years ago and like I just happened to stumble on an old Fangoria magazine. He actually shoots him with cancer bullets. Oh shit. I'm like, who the fuck would know that? But it was like <laughs> it was it was Rick Baker basically, oh yeah, we made the cancer bullets that went in the gun. He shot him with cancer. That's why all of a sudden tumors are popping out of him. It's it so was cool. an advanced and the, the most horrific thing about that entire scene is as he's running through the lobby escaping. The fact that the microphone fell next to him as he's dying, you hear the gurgling and the screaming and the moaning. 
Yes. So good. When it's it's like, oh my god, that's awful. That's just awful. He's dying and I can't get away from it. Yes. You know, the scene looked exactly like the same practical effects that we got um in Mission to Mars. Uh Total Recall. Sorry. In Total Recall. When uh Yeah, with the, the when, teeth. Yeah, when he's running out of oxygen when he falls yeah. on yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's almost the same effects they got in that movie. All right. Um, so anybody else be- got anything on the end? No, the I'm fact good. That, like you said, you know, James Woods came up with the ending to shoot on the boat. When they were, they didn't know how they were in the movie when they started it. That's the funny thing. I don't know if you read that part of it. No, is the fact that they were trying because they were under the government funding, they had to finish the movie to keep to keep getting the money. They needed to finish within a calendar year, so they were trying to get done by Christmas. So they had to to rush into production. They literally started shooting the movie without an ending. So they had no wow. idea where it was going to go. So by the time they like getting close to close to Christmas, they're like, how are we ending it? How are we ending it? How are we ending it? And they didn't know. And I guess they, they threw the idea of him. That whole end scene was like a two day process of like, all right, we could do this. We could do this. We could do this. And James Cameron's like, well, let's just find an abandoned boat. Because <laughs> someone on the crew <laughs> happened to own an abandoned tugboat. And so let's go to Steve's house. And that's where it was, you know? So cool. <laughs> so cool. I loved it. I loved the ending of the movie. It just and it didn't feel like it was a, an an add on. It felt like he had that written day one. Right. Oh, so, definitely. Yeah, it wasn't a lost season. <laughs> tip of the hat to him for that. <laughs> um, all right, let's uh, go to the recasting couch for this one. All right, uh, I've got a good one. I would replace the actor that played Harlan with a young Jeff Goldblum, kind of like in Invasion Ooh. of the Body Snatchers. I like it. That's good. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, it would work. It would work. Um, Tony, what do you got? See, I actually thought about this one. You usually surprise me with this. I forget we do it. I'm like, and I'm always like, I don't know. This one I thought about because around the same time, maybe two years later, Angel Heart came out. Mickey mm-hmm. Rourke plays a sleazy detective in that movie. He would be a great James Woods replacement. Dude. But he would be more on the harder side. Like he loves the S&M. He loves the sleaze. Dude, He's that's fighting so for it. Good. That's so yeah, good. Mickey Rourke, would have, Mickey Rourke yeah. would have been. I mean, it definitely would have knocked the movie down like a half a notch in quality just because James yeah. Wood is just such a great actor. But True. actually, Mickey Rourke really is a great actor, too. He used to be. Right. Yeah, yeah, he's kind when of he, weird. When now. he had an attitude, he, he was yeah. great. Yeah, Rumblefish, yeah. fucking Angel Heart. I fucking yeah. love Angel Heart. Yeah, so many good ones. Dylan, what do you got? Oh, yeah, what do you got? So, watching this movie, I'm watching Bianca Oblivion, and I'm going, she reminds me of somebody. Who does she remind me of? She reminds me of, like, through the whole thing, it was actually distracting me. Sarah Paulson. She is Sarah Paulson. Oh, man. That little lispy lip that she's got. Go, I'm like, she's Sarah. Like, if you made that movie today, Sarah Paulson would have to play Bianca Oblivion. So that's yeah, I was yeah. worried you were going to say Joan Cusack. That's no, what I you know, no, 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 no. she looks like. Um, <laughs> no. You know who else would be great in that part? Um, the one who played Rachel for Blade Runner. Oh, yeah. Um, oh. God. Sean, right. Sean Young. We Sean can't Young. Have on, can't have her on the same set with James Woods, though. Why not? Oh my God, that's like they they like lawsuits of beating and and like divorces and stuff. Oh no shit! Aren't they, oh, weren't that's they married? Right. They hate oh, each I other. I think so. Yeah. Oh wow, that's awesome. Uh you know what? I I feel like we need. I I know Mickey wants to do Bad Boys with Sean Penn. So good. good so movie. good. So dirty. Um, 
But I want to do Rumblefish so bad, man. It's such a good movie. It's so artistic. I know Delin is like, eh. But have I'm, you seen I'm, it, Tony? I maybe lasted halfway through it. I couldn't stay with it. Oh, I've watched I didn't that movie. Like it. 150 yeah. times. 150 motorcycle it's boy. It's a tough watch. Rusty James. Oh, it's it so gets good. Okay. Slow. It's, it's not it's Streets like, of uh... Fire, man. But, you know. <laughs> no, a few, few things, things are. are. <laughs> oh, yeah, a few things are. Okay. All right. Let's do some final thoughts and uh, rewatch score. I thought we did great with this movie. I, I thought it was really fun to talk about it. Um, what about Season of the Witch? Halloween. Oh, love it. I want to do it. Let's do it for October. Yeah, let's do it for October. Let's get it in there. Yeah. Okay. Um, Final thoughts. I'll go first. Um, So this movie has so many forward thinking ideas going. Uh, It gets the future so right. There's so much amazing symbolism written under the surface of the movie presented on the screen, which I already said. Um, For those reasons... This movie is a three and three quarter rewatch for me, uh, just solely on the writing and just solely on how much lies. I mean, we're seeing the tip of the iceberg and there is a huge iceberg under the ocean. And it was just so much fun for me to, uh, to just, you know, discover. So yeah, three and three and three quarters. All right. Tony, how about you? Um, it's one of those movies I forget how much I love until I either catch it or someone brings it up. It's not one that I'm like, oh, you know what we should pull out and watch? Let's watch Video Drum. No. Um, but when you find someone, it's one of those movies that when I find someone who I think will really, really appreciate it, I really get excited to show them. So, I mean, as far as rewatch, I got I to gotta go like, I'll, I'll, I'll go around the same, like 3 points. I'm going to go like 3.75. Yeah. I enjoy it when I watch it. But I'm not, it's not a common, it's not a common poll. Yeah, this is a watch by yourself. Or if you have like, if you meet somebody else that knows what it's about. I was saying this about the last album we did, uh, The Dogs the More Inside the Dynamite Jet Saloon. I was like, back in 88, when I discovered it, if I met another rocker that had also discovered it and got it the way I did, it was like, we were part of this little secret society of rock and rollers that like got this album, you know? Dogs and that's kind of what. Oh. God. Oh. <laughs> oh god you would have been perfect on the podcast because my uh oh two of my co-hosts hated it and the other one loved it just like me so it was a battle let's just say nice. and today we did uh king's x king's x and oh i didn't like mm-hmm. that one yeah. <laughs> not for me um go in what do you got um, so as I've said on numerous occasions throughout the podcast tonight, I was not a fan, at least of the first half hour. Like I just was like, I don't want to watch this. This sucks. I'm annoyed. After uh Nikki disappears and is off the board and things start getting weird, then I appreciated it. Um, am I ever gonna watch it again? No. Hell no, you won't. <laughs> no, I'm never going to watch it again. So I'm going to give it a 2.35 because, I mean, Fair. it's still cool. There's some fu- some fun stuff in there, but it's not for me. So right. um, with all of our scores added together, that brings us out to 3.28333. And on the listing, that puts it at number 32, which is one underneath Halloween and right above Don't Look Up. <laughs> don't look up just keeps getting mentioned <laughs> i love don't look up he <laughs> loves don't look up I, I, dug it. I liked it a lot i liked it i liked it a lot it's just, i was just surprised how dark it got it was it very goes dark. from like i'm laughing i'm laughing i'm laughing 
holy shit, the world just ended. Oh my God, yeah. it was real. But this Tony, scene, that that scene is... around the dinner table at the end of that movie is like, oh, oh God, it's like heart-wrenching. Yeah. But Tony, don't you feel like that is exactly how people would act today if we heard on the news that there oh. was a media coming? Like, I just so. feel oh. like it's yeah. exactly like a perfect depiction it is. of yeah. fucking how people would act now. Just yeah, pat, 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 move along, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's why I liked it so much. And fucking, yeah. All right. Uh, so, um, Tony, thanks for joining us. Great hey, talking sure. about movies with you again. We put out like one legitimate podcast a month. This was it. <laughs> I'm so I'm so bummed I could have been on the Fast Times one. I have so much to talk about with that. I love that one. It was, that was so good. good. I kind of mailed that one in. I was just I just it was just oh, I've it was seen so much fun. I've, I've seen it five hundred thousand times, and I kind of wish I had done more notes because I was just like like. You know, this is cool. like, it was so cool with the bagel in his boobies. Yeah. <laughs> if I could, you know, fucking Spicoli with a fucking bagel in the front of his pants. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Um, all right. Uh, so we will be back next week where we will be reviewing one of my favorites and a movie that is long overdue on this podcast, Fletch. And we'll be doing that with Pat, and I will be enjoying it with a steak sandwich and a steak sandwich. <laughs> Um, so yeah, guys, listen, um, share this podcast with your friends. Anybody, you know, that likes movies, just share it with them, share it on your Facebook page, share it wherever. It doesn't matter if you're listening to it on Apple, give it a five-star review, give it a share. It helps the podcast grow and we really appreciate it. Okay. Um, and if you like music, you like rock and roll, you like classics, you like whatever, you just like music, go check out breaking vinyl. Uh, we break down an album every week. It's a lot of fun. We ruthlessly insult each other's musical taste. We fight. We quarrel. It's a lot of fun. Uh, today was insane. It was uh, King's X. I hated it and loved it. Go check it out. So until next time, I just have one question for you. Hey, did you ever see that movie? See you later.